0: The topic tonight I want to discuss is adding Kedusha to your Kedushin. We know the Gemara says there's two different languages for marriage. There's Nisuan, which is marriage, Kedusha, which is, for lack of a better term, engagement. I want to speak about adding Kedusha to Kedushin. I want to speak about Shalom Bias. I got married in July 19 years ago, and 18 and a half years ago, I was in Florida visiting my parents in June. And that Motzei Shabbos, my Rebbe Rabbi Zweig was giving a shir on Shalom Bayez. And at that point, I had never gone to a shir in Shalom Bayez. Baruch Hashem, I was raised in a home. My parents have amazing Shalom Bayez. And why would I ever go to a Shalom Bayez shir? So but I was home, I was getting married. I said, this is my chance. I'm going to go to the Shalom Bayez shir. And I go to the Shalom Bayez shir. It was located at the Kurlansky home on a Motzei Shabbos, mid-June, 18 and a half years ago. And I'm sitting there with a bunch of other couples, and I'm looking around, thinking the following thought. Everybody here has shalom bias problems. so everybody's here tonight. Now I've heard hundreds of shirim from Rabbi Zwag, maybe even a thousand. I can't tell you a single word he said that night other than his opening line. And his opening line was the following. He gets up there and he says, Now most of you are probably sitting around here thinking everybody here has shalom bias problems. And I'm like, yes! That's what I'm thinking! And he says, I want to tell you wrong. Because the ones that are here are not, because you're willing to work on it. And if you're willing to work on it, then that's not going to be a problem. For those of you who don't know by now, men and women happen to be a little different. And trying to go ahead and merge the differences is really the avoda of Shalom Bayes. The Torah tells us in Parsha's Kedoshim, Hashem Moshe spoke to Moshe saying, das b'nei to you. They shall be Kadosh. What does it mean, it says Kadosh, says Rashi, Haiva Purushim in Arias, They should be separated. Make fences, make boundaries, make separations. The whole idea of being holy means to be separate. The whole idea of being married means separate, not from each other, but from everyone else. Making your marriage special, making your marriage holy, that's making a kadosh. Something that's unique is something that is unique, is something that is special and limited to a certain amount of people. Hopefully the only person you give a diamond ring to is your wife. That's why it's special. If you give a diamond ring to everybody, the diamond ring is no longer special. If you have deep, meaningful conversations with many women, that deep, meaningful conversation with your wife is now minimized. The idea of making your marriage special, making it holy, is to make it unique, make it separate from everybody else. Your relationship with your wife has to be kadosh and separate from everybody else. So that's one way, is taking what you have with your wife and making it special and unique to each other. There's another way. You know, I don't care if you're a rabbi or a doctor, you can tell what's important to a person, not necessarily by what they do all day, but by the first topic of conversation when they walk inside the house. You could have a big time walk in and say, can you believe who the Jets hired to be their new coach? And you could have a person who's working as a contractor, as a lawyer an accountant, a gardener, and he walks in and says, I went to Milchon Marv today, and that rabbi gave an awesome Dvar Torah. When you walk into your house, and the first thing that you say shows what your value system is, shows what's meaningful to you, and that has a tremendous effect on your wife and children, because they know what's what you value. I remember I have a neighbor, her husband passed away about seven, eight years ago, and they had one son who lived in Chiefland, Florida, And uh, he came in for the funeral, and he came in, he was wearing a wife beater, ripped T-shirt, piercings, tattoos everywhere, he married to a guy, and I said to him, my wife and I fought very hard not to have him cremated, his father, and I said to the only child, I said, do you wanna say Kaddish for your father? He says, what's that? I said, you know, when a Jew passes away, he goes, my dad was Jewish? You know, you have certain values that you transmit to your children. Honesty, integrity, family, whatever it is, hopefully Judaism's in the top something. This father had no interest in transmitting that value system. You want to add Kedusha to your house? What's the first thing you're going to talk about when you walk in your house? Is it going to be the stock market? Is it going to be the latest Jets hire? Or is it going to be the beautiful two-minute our Torah that you had a chance to hop between Minchamar after a long, hard day of work? That's adding Kedusha because your children are going to see, where's my father's value system? I know recently I changed the lights inside my car. I did it all by myself. I was so proud. And after two days I said to myself, I can't stop talking about it. What message is that sending to my children? That I'm so excited about the fact that I changed the inside lights of my car to LED lights. How about the fact that I finished another Messiah to Mishnayis? That's adding Kedusha. That's showing the value, and it's going to have a tremendous effect on your wife and children. My mother told me before I got married, she says, Yechil, marriage is nonstop work, and it's over the day you stop working at it. It could be after a year, a decade, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Marriage is a non-stop work. You have to constantly work at it every single day of your marriage. One of the most important things in marriage is the concept of appreciation. You have to appreciate your spouse. I really hope my wife doesn't watch this video. She's going to hold me to every standard that I say tonight. But I think it's very true. When somebody is appreciated, they want to reciprocate. A person who's not appreciated takes what they give away. We have this relationship with Hashem. We didn't appreciate certain things, we lost it. We lost it. We have to show appreciation. When you show appreciation to somebody, it validates their existence. A wife wants to feel appreciated by her spouse. She wants to feel meaningful, she wants to feel loved, she wants to feel beautiful, she wants to feel funny, smart to her husband. If the whole world thinks she's funny and no one else does, I'm sorry, and her husband doesn't, She's not going to feel funny. If the whole world thinks she's, 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 she's hilarious or brilliant, but her husband doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to her. And the reverse is true. Her husband has a certain opinion of her. She feels appreciated and she feels validated. That's going to give her a sense of existence. When a person feels appreciated, they literally have a reason to get up in the morning. One of the important lessons I learned from my wife... Um, Well, we do this with our children, but it's very important with your wife as well. I once went to a bar mitzvah, and and the father of the bar mitzvah boy, when he was introducing every speaker, and there were a whole lot of them, every person got introduced with, he's amazing. She's amazing. He's amazing. Now, I could say that about anybody. It doesn't really mean anything. I don't know you if I say you're amazing. That doesn't let me talk to your inner core essence. And it's so important to sit down and literally write a vocabulary book of compliments of touching the unique characteristic of your children, of touching the unique characteristic of your spouse, and just saying your wife's amazing, that's very nice, that's very nice, but that doesn't prove to me that you know her. You want to tell me she's kind, she's sensitive, she's smart, she's thoughtful, she's selfless, she's caring, she's giving? That's touching the essence, the core characteristics, and that's making her feel appreciated. Because it understands that you stop to think who she is and what she represents and what she brings to the table. There was once a a woman who came crying to the Rav of Rashul. And uh, the Rav said, what's wrong? And she says, I've been married for five years and my husband never once told me he loves me. So the Rav turns to the husband and says, is that true? He said, no. When we first got married, the day after we got married, I told her I love her. And if anything changed, I'll let her know. And there are people who think that way. That's enough. And there's another guy at his wife's funeral right after they buried her, the rabbi stayed with him for an hour, and after an hour he says, we gotta go. He says, you don't understand, rabbi. I loved my wife so much. He said, I, I understand, but it's, we gotta go. It's been an hour since the funeral. He says, rabbi, you don't understand. I loved my wife so much. I understand, but we gotta go. He says, I loved her so much, I almost even told her that once. Right? It's not enough to think it. There's gotta be that aspect of communication and appreciation. One of the harder things to appreciate, to see, if you both like eating pizza and watching the Jets lose. You could do that with anybody. Real appreciation is taking something that's meaningful to her, and you could care less about, and appreciating, appreciating that in her. So for example, if you could care less about window shades, it just doesn't make a difference to you. And you walk inside your house, and your wife got window shades, and you say, you know what, honey? Those window shades look beautiful, the colors blend in beautifully. That's telling her that something that's important to you you're appreciating and that makes her feel amazing. One of the hardest things or most important things about appreciating is appreciating people have faults as well. Contrary to what your mother might have told you, you are not perfect, and neither is your wife, but she might be perfect for you. And your job is to appreciate her with her faults. You see, about eight months ago, I, got, I had an Android. And um, you know, phones are a pain. What do you want me to tell you? They just are. They're nonstop problems with every one aspect or another. And somebody gave me a free iPhone, I was so excited. And I got rid of all my problems with my Android and transferred them onto an iPhone. You see, every person in life has ten faults and your spouse has 10 faults also, and you think somebody else is better, you're going to be doing just that. You're going to be trading your Android in for an iPhone. You're gonna be trading one problem in for the next, but there's something more important than that. And that is when you appreciate that a person has faults, you have to realize that that's what makes up who they are and gives them a lot of qualities. For example, if your spouse is a slob, it's not nice, you're a neat freak, you're an OCD neat freak, but guess what? The fact that they're like that, allows them to be spontaneous and last minute, just pick up and go for a road trip. Last minute, go ahead and do something because they don't have to be stuck in a particular box. They don't have to have everything predetermined for six weeks in advance on their entire trip, every single minute of their itinerary. So while you might find that flaw, you might find that fault, understand that that makes up that person of who they are. Marriage is so much about what could I give rather than what could I take. And that's what we have to focus on. And ultimately, you all know, because you've all given before, you ultimately feel much happier when you give than when you take. If there's one slice of pizza left and it's between you and somebody else, you might not feel good right now about, taking, about giving over that last slice, but you know for the rest of your life you're going to feel great, because it feels so much better to give than it does to take. Many years ago I heard a beautiful Dvar Torah. I heard it in the name of Rabbi Reisman. I don't know who he quoted. He said, if you look at the 10 Nishonis of Avram Avinu, The 10th one, according to many, was the Akedah. That one could have been easily attributed to Sarah as well. And the question is, why not? It was Sarah's child. It was Sarah's child. I understand each of the Nesionos you had for for Avram Avinu, that was unique to Avram Avinu. But why could not that Nesion have been including Sarah? And Rabbi Reisman said the following. My wife and I... When we hear about a person struggling in a certain situation, whether it be, God forbid, their child is sick, they're struggling financially, somebody else is having an issue, it's so much harder for a single parent than it is for a married couple. Why is that? The answer is, says Rabbi Reisman, because when a person goes through a struggle, but they have their spouse's support, it makes the struggle a little easier. Not easy! A little easier. The child is struggling in school. God forbid someone's sick to having Pornhousa issues but you have your spouse's support, it makes the Nisayon a little easier. Had a Kaddish Baruch included Sarah in the Nisayon of the Akedah, it would have been a different Nisayon for Avram Avinu. No one ever thinks it's easy to slaughter your own child. But having your wife's support makes you going through that difficult time a little easier. Therefore, a Kaddish Baruch didn't include Sarah, because it would have been a different Nisayon for Avram Avinu. When part of feeling close to your spouse, there's, there's this great quote I heard, and I'm not sure where it came from, but it goes the following. Closeness is a state of mind, it's not a physical reality. You could be sitting next to a person having just been in a fight with him or her, and feel like you're 6,000 miles apart. You can go to Eretz Yisrael for a few days of chizuk, your wife and children are 6,000 miles back. You're working well together and you can feel like you're right next to them. Because closeness is a state of mind. It's not a physical reality. To feel close to your spouse, you don't have to be standing next to him or her. You have to be working on it. have to have that state of mind. That's what's going to go ahead and help you feel close to your spouse. A few years ago, there was a man who was married for 13 years. And uh, after 13 years, he felt that he was lacking something in his life. He went to the computer to try to find these desires somewhere else and he found it and he met this person online and they decided they wanna meet up in person. And they picked a date, they picked a time, they picked a place, he went, and his wife showed up. And there's two important lessons in that true story. Number one, the men always think, or people always think rather, the grass is greener on the other side. Other people have what my spouse is lacking. And you see here, this man thought that he was going to find something else in another person, and who was that person the whole time? It was his spouse. His spouse had everything that he thought he, another person had. But due to lack of communication, he didn't realize everything he wanted was literally on the other side of the door. But there's another aspect here as well. There's another person suffering in that story, and that's the woman. But due to lack of communication, they were not able to realize they were each struggling as well. After a person gets married, especially after a long time, we have to understand that we should never stop dating after we get married. Now, I do not mean taking other people out on dates. What I mean is the following. When a person goes on a date, so they dress nicely, they think about where they're going to go, they probably, th- hopefully, think about some things they're going to say or not say. They might not be so cheap. And suddenly, after you get married, 20 years, it all goes out the window. The dating mindset! <coughs> Of trying to still impress your spouse. Trying to still go ahead and look nice. Still trying to go ahead and make pleasant, intelligent, meaningful, complimentary conversations. Still trying to go ahead and not be so cheap. You know, it's interesting, the girl you date is not necessarily the girl you're going to marry. And yet, we'll be going ahead and whining and dining her. And yet, you get married, your wife of 20 years, suddenly, you know what, let's try to find the cheapest route possible. I asked somebody on the way here today... um, to give me a uh, Shalom Bias tip. And he said to me the following. People think sometimes that it's more important to focus on your children. He said, I think that if you focus on your spouse and your children see that you respect each other, that you're selfless to each other, that you work together, that you respect each other, there, and your child is going to try to imitate you. So all those lessons you want to implement and think you have to tell your child, act that way to your spouse, your child will see it. And when the parents give the same message, when the parents work together, that is going to have more an effect on your child. Work on your relationship after a year, after a decade, after two decades. It's never got to stop. By the, um, by the Ben Saro Morris, so the Gemara tells us, the parents have to have the same voice. That's a Mishnah. So many Mefarshim say it doesn't mean the woman should sound like a man or the man should sound like a woman. What it means is they have to give the same message. When a child sees the same message from his parents or her parents, that lets the child feel, feel a sense of security because they know the parents are working well together. I heard Rabbi Fraymalio Shapiro told me this year on Arab Shabbos Kitzei Tei from his Machutin, quoting Rebellia Yisvei. There's another. Example, that's a tremendous lesson by Ben Ben Saromar. The commissioner says that if one parent takes the child to Baisdin, that child is not a Ben Saromar. And the question is why? This child stole, he's eating raw meat, drinking undiluted wine, doing everything wrong, and he's not a Ben Saromar because only one of his parents took him to court. Rebel Vey said something really, really insightful. He said, if only one parent took the child to court, that means there's still one parent who believes in him. And if you are doing everything wrong in the world, but you have a parent who believes in you, if you have parents who are giving you the same message, then that's enough to go ahead and say, I'm going to turn my life around. That's enough. Because when you hear that common voice, that common language, that common message, when you see your parents working together, and this is a message for us. So I heard somebody discussing today of whether or not a parent should be pointed out his or her faults in front of the child. And I told the person back, are you kidding me? You think your children don't know your faults? A few weeks ago, my daughter told me that I benched too quickly. I didn't tell her that. She figured it out, and she was right. She was right. Your children imitate, they look at the parents, the way they work with each other, and say, that's what what I think is the right way. But sometimes your children know what you're doing is wrong. I asked my parents on the way here. I said, uh, I said to my mother, I said, Mom, tell me two things about Shalom Bias. And I was blessed to grow up in a house with my parents at great Shalom Bayes. So my mother right away said, Tati will say the two things are yes, dear. She said, but Tati will say it's yes, dear. I said, Mom, it's actually yes, dear, and yes, dear, because I asked him for two things. Those are the two things that he said. But they said, you can't, you know, you're not going to remake a person. Who you marry is who you marry. And understand when they say something where they're coming from. So, and I'm going to conclude with the opinions. With this, I called up my wife while I was driving. I said, "Adina, give me one tip on Shalom Bayis." She goes, "Don't ask your wife for tips while she's taking care of seven kids." Okay, <laughs> that's what she told me, right? But understand where they're coming from. There was a big Talmud Chalchum who lived in Brooklyn. His name was the Sukkot David of David Kviat, and his boy was being Mashamish as Rebbe. And he goes to his house to pick him up for Mincha, and he goes to get his coat. And his wife says, no, I'm going to get your coat. And he says, no, I want to get the coat. And she goes and gets it for him. She gives him the coat and they walk to Yeshiva. Next day, the boy comes to Yeshiva, to the house, I'm sorry. And he goes, Rabbi Kvyat goes to get his, uh, his coat. And his wife says, no, let me get your coat. He says, no, I want to get it. And she gets it and gives it to him. And this goes on for an entire week. After a week, the boy says to his rabbi, I don't understand. What's going on over here? Why do you insist on getting your coat? if your wife's gonna give you the coat every single day, probably for 50 years. And he looks at the boy and he says the following, people think marriage is 50%, 50%, it's not. It's 100% and 100%. You have to do whatever you can. My job is to get my coat. My wife wants to give it to me, that's up to her. But marriage is not 50-50, marriage is supposed to be 100%, 100%. You have to go ahead and do what you have to do. Rabbi Zweig once told me a very insightful line to teach a chassan and kala. I'm going to tell you what the line is. I'm going to tell you how it impacted me one time. He said to me, tell them the following. Whenever your spouse is frustrated, never respond to your spouse until you repeat back what they said. Your spouse is venting about something. You did something wrong. You turn to your spouse and say, so what you're saying is X, Y, and Z. And they'll say yes. Or they'll say no. I said A, B, and C. You accomplish two things. You accomplish they know you're listening, and you avoid an unnecessary fight. You said, I can do this? No, I said, you can't do this. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I didn't do on purpose. It just happened by accident. But it brings out this lesson. I was shopping in a store called Brach's in the far right corner near the Pringles, near the small bags of potato chips. I had a shopping list. And I was on the phone with my wife, I was going shopping, and she was going over things that I me- to make sure that I got. And in the middle of the conversation, she says to me, Yechiel, do you miss me? I said, yes, honey, I miss you very much. She says, Yechiel, I said, did you get Bisley? <laughs> now, imagine if she asked me, if I, mi- if, she misses, if I miss her and I just said yes, I would have gone home, she would have opened up all the bags, and she would have said, where's the Bisley? And I would have said, you never asked for it. And she would have said, yes, I did. And I would have said, no, you didn't. Mm -hmm. But because I responded back, again, I didn't do that on purpose. And somebody asked me, why do you think your wife's asking you if you miss her while you're shopping? Uh, To me, it makes sense. But the point is, is that if you respond back, you avoid an unnecessary fight, and you clarify everything, and they know you're listening. There's a famous story, Psalm Rapsomal Zalman Orbach. I'm gonna repeat to you the first half. The second half to me was enlightening. At his wife's funeral, he famously said, in 53 years of marriage, he never once had a fight with his wife, and therefore he did not need to ask Mechila. Although it's common to ask Mechila from your spouse at the Levaya, in 53 years he never had a fight, and therefore he's not asking. Six months after the funeral, he sees a Talmud. And he says to the Talmud, New, how's marriage? man?" The boy says, amazing. Four months, not a single argument. Sholm al says, is your wife alive? He says, yeah. He goes, are you still married to her? He said, yes. He said, how do you go four months without an argument? And the boy looks at Rosh Hashiva and says, Rosh Hashiva went 53 years. Rosh Hashiva says, that's not true. I went 53 years without a fight. An argument is a difference of opinion. For those of you who don't know, that's the most natural thing between a man and a woman, to have a difference of opinion. We never let it escalate to a fight. I don't know how you go four months without an argument. 53 years without a fight, he understands. Four months without an argument, he doesn't. Rabbi wife once said on a uh, tape, I heard him say he had a boy in yeshiva. I don't wanna say his name. He lives in Muncie now, actually. He said that it wasn't until he was 13 years old that he ever heard a mother scream. He was at someone else's house and he heard his friend's mother scream. Until he was 13, he never knew the concept that a mother would scream. Now, I don't know, that's amazing, right? But understand that, that this, is, this was, is his idea of the way they grow up in the house. <laughs> there was a, uh, <coughs> I read recently, a story with Rabbi The story has mostly to do with Chinuch, but I think it's very much applicable to Shalom Bayis as well. Rabbi Rabbi um had a Talmud who was brilliant. And this Talmud left Yeshiva at 19 years old to go get a PhD in some um, Ivy League college. But the boy would come back every couple weeks. He would search out Rav Brunni and his yeshiva at night and say, can we learn? And once every couple weeks, Rav Brunni would sit down with this boy who was brilliant. And after learning, the boy would go ahead and start asking questions that were borderlining on kafira. He would start bashing Rabbanim and bashing Judaism and bashing Emunah. And Rav Brunni would give him, Tokachi would give him rebuke. The boy would leave. Six to eight weeks later, the boy would come back and the series would repeat itself over and over. And every once in a while, Rav Brunni felt to himself... Maybe I shouldn't be giving him Tochacha. And he wouldn't. And he sensed that the boy felt that, Ah, now my Rebbe gets me. But he didn't feel well about it. How in the world am I allowing him to begrudge Rabbanim and to, to put down Judaism? Ben Azmanim, that year, he went to Archeshor, he went to go speak to Al Ador, Rav Shach. And because it was Ben Azmanim, he had plenty of time. And he asked Rav Shach, what should I do? Should I give Tochacha to this boy or not? Rav Shach thought, and he said the following, he said, yes, you could, but it has to be Beshuva v'anachas t'vashayun. It's got to be with calmness, tranquility, and peace. Meaning, you could say anything you want. It's just what you say and how you say it. If you say it the right way, you can tell him anything you want. And then Rav would told him a bunch of stories, how the Chavetz Chaim was able to go ahead, in his calm, peaceful way, deliver the greatest tochacha. Because it's not only what you say, but more importantly, how you say it. So Abrimi turned to Rav Shach and asked him, can I have a bracha? Rav Shach says, what do you need a bracha for? you learn Torah. He says, give me a bracha that I should say the right thing to my talmidim. Rav Shach didn't like that. He said, that's your job. You have to learn about the people that you speak to. Learn what makes them tick. Learn what makes them happy. Learn what makes them sad. Learn what's going to offend them and learn what's going to compliment them. That's your job. And if that's your job, I'm not giving you a bracha to do your job. You spend a lot of time investing in learning a tosvos, spend time learning and understanding. You're telling them how to say something the right way that's not going to insult them. And I think that's what we have to do with our spouse. Because you know, certain things, certain women or certain men get offended easily, certain ones got thick skin, certain ones like sarcasm, certain ones don't. Our job is to know how to talk to them. And that's what we have to invest our time trying to figure out how to learn who we're going to be speaking to, what they can take out of it. I want to conclude with a vart and a small vart from the Tonareba, which is sort of a story. In this week's Parsha, we have the Mak of Choshech. It says, "There was darkness for three days. The man didn't see his brother, and a man wasn't able to get up for three days." On a simple level, that means the darkness was so thick they couldn't see, and the darkness was so thick they couldn't move. The get says it's something else. He says, "You want to know what choshech is? There's another Jew in your community who's suffering financially." And you're apathetic. There's another Jew who's got a sick spouse or a sick child. And you and you close your eyes. You don't care. You're apathetic to another Jew's suffering. That's the definition of Choshech. And you don't stand up to help him. The definition of Choshech says the Ger-Rebbe is that when there are people who are having difficulties. And you're apathetic to another Jew. You don't see him. you don't stand up. Open up your eyes. Learn who you're talking to. Learn learn who you're living with, who you're living around, what they need. At the final stage of the chuppah, the greatest happiness of this young couple's life, right before the is over, the man puts his foot down on the glass. And the question is why? Why would you want to go ahead and ruin their simcha? Let their simcha be complete. Why would you want to put your foot down? The Torah the Rebbe says something that is a great lesson for every single one of us for the rest of our life. We got a great life. Kodesh Baruch Hu, let every single body in this room wake up this morning. But there's Tzar in life. You have Tzar Gidlo You might have Tzar with Parnasa. You might have Tzar with your health, with your parents, your in-laws. We do. But when a man and a woman look back at their wedding... And they think to themselves, "What an awesome night!" They don't think about the foot breaking the glass and remembering the korban. They didn't let that tsar ruin the simcha. And the message is, says the Tanya Rebbe, to the young couple, to every single one of us: We go through life, and we have so much positive. We have so many gifts from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. We're going to have tsar, but don't let that tsar ruin the big picture. Don't let the tsar ruin your marriage. Don't let the tsar ruin your day. You're going to have sorrows. I'm not telling you that it's not a big deal. But I'm saying that just like we look at the wedding and we think simcha, that's the way we should look at it every single day. We've got to open up our eyes and learn how to speak to our spouse, how to appreciate their spouse. And you do that, you will in fact have the greatest simcha, have an awesome Shabbos.